Today's episode is sponsored by BGB Publishing. From the mind that brought you the board game bulletin comes an all-new word game with a twist. VOWL, that's spelled V-O-W-L, the game of letters gone astray, was designed with the modern gamer in mind and features a unique blend of fast-paced wordplay alongside strategic scoring decisions. Race against your friends to recognize words without any vowels and then choose your reward with the game's unique scoring system. Every point gained will impact your future turns and your opponents. Featuring up to 420 unique puzzle cards and modular difficulty, Val is sure to be a delight at any game night. Back it on Kickstarter now through April 25th. And if you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, doing a BGDL community spotlight where I talk to a member of the Board Game Design Lab community about a specific topic that maybe is a little bit smaller than would be in a, a long episode. These are shorter form episodes, but I wanted to reach out to different people in the Board Game Design Lab community that were doing some cool things, whether it was with marketing or their game design process or doing something interesting with a mechanism or a theme or something like that, and just give them an opportunity to talk about what they're doing and share that with you, and also give them a bit of a platform to get their ideas out there. And today, we're talking about the board game identity pyramid. And if you're like, what is that? Well, I was in the same boat until recently when I started figuring out what in the world the board game identity pyramid is. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Dennis Furia from Furia Games is here. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to talk about this as well. Yeah, definitely. So you submitted the in the Google form this idea, this thing that you had been kind of working through. It's really a marketing concept, and it's something you have used in the marketing world, but you brought it over into the board game design space. And I think it's just a really cool way to break down a game, especially early on, maybe even before you really get into mm-hmm. designing a game, is to, a way to give you direction as a way to kind of help you make choices and give you a nice decision filter to maybe say, okay, what am I really doing here? Why am I doing it? How am I going to do it? And then figuring those things out. And that way, when design challenges pop up or when different choices have to be made for the game's, you know, various uh, parts, it gives you a wonderful place to look at and wonderful thing to look at and go, oh, okay, I need to make this choice because of this thing that I'm trying to accomplish. So I'm really excited just to define what this pyramid is, how it can be used in game design. I think it's a really cool thing that will help people that are, you know, wanting to get their games, especially people wanting to get their games out there on the marketplace and really think about how it all comes together. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Who are you? How'd you get in here? Uh, <laughs> so my name is Dennis Furia and um, I, I've been into game design, I, I realized ever since I was a kid, um, but I'd never thought about it as something to kind of pursue to the extent that I have now. Um, and about, oh gosh, at this point, it would have been two and a half years ago. 
um, had an idea for a game uh, called Deck of Wonders. And, and just it was one of those ideas that wouldn't leave me alone. And I was like, I feel like this is something I should I should kind of really pursue. Um, like you mentioned, my background is in the marketing world. I, I've, I've spent you know the better part of, um, or man, is it over over a decade now, uh, in the corporate world, in in marketing, uh, in in various formats, um, and and so I was kind of coming from that business background, and I designed games as a kid uh, with with my brothers or or just for fun, um, and and this is kind of now the synthesis of that. So I, I did the Kickstarter uh, in August last year, and then I've come out of that and am. Uh, producing Deck of Wonders now for release later uh, in November of 2021. Very cool. All right, so let's just jump right into the topic. What exactly is the board game identity pyramid? Give me a good working definition. Yeah, I think, so this is a framework, and it's a framework for organizing your thoughts primarily around the core identity of your game. Um, and, and think about it like this. If you have 10 seconds to explain to someone what your game is or get them excited about your game, what do you tell them? And if you have 30 seconds, you know, what do you say in that case? Uh, if you get a little bit longer than that, if you get a minute, like what are, what are all those details that are important and relevant and are really going to help communicate to someone the experience that you are offering to them through your game in a way that when they actually dig into it, they feel like, oh yeah, okay, I'm, I'm getting what I was promised. Or like, I can get excited about this and you're delivering on that excitement. Um, the board game identity pyramid is a framework to help you be clear and concise when you're trying to accomplish that. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, this, this actually does have implications as well in design decisions. Um, because once you've clearly designed that experience for yourself, um, you can, you can better decide how well certain aspects of your game serve that experience. Gotcha. And the pyramid has three basic parts, which are very simple. And so tell me, you know, tell us what those parts are and kind of how they all work together. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a newspaper reporter here. So the, the three layers going from top to bottom are why, how, and what. Um, and like I said, come from the corporate world. Anyone who's um, listened to Simon Sinek or read him uh, is instantly going, ah, golden circle. And, and very much this, uh, this framework has elements of, uh, of his work in it. Um, but the why is the top of the pyramid. So think of it as like a, you know, a triangle or a pyramid going up. Uh, it's the smallest piece, but it's at the top. It's most important. Uh, and it's the thing you want to look at first. The how is the middle, uh, of that pyramid. Um, and it, it almost sets kind of the, the personality or the tone or the way you accomplish that why, um, and then the what is the base of the pyramid that lays out all of those, uh, foundational details, um, that, that kind of make up the specifics of your game, but it all of course supports and builds up to that. Why that, that kind of reason for being at the top of the pyramid. Very cool. And so why is this pyramid helpful? Like how can this help me as a game designer make better games? Yeah, great question. So, um, I think the, the core essence of something is so hard to articulate concisely. Um, and, and, you know, if, if I ask you to talk about why you're excited about the game you're designing, um, you could probably go on for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, I, I know I can, right? Like the, the designer in us just sees all these opportunities and then you get as excited about the, where something could go as where it is now and what the challenge is to, and you can, you can just kind of ramp up and talk and talk and talk. But at the end of the conversation, there's this, this kind of chance that the person listening has not really taken anything away from it. Um, and so this is helpful to designers, um, when they're talking about the game or just when they are thinking and making decisions about their game, 
um, to have both a clear and concise outline of what what is really foundational to this game what is really at the the center of the the experience that we're trying to offer and i think that's that's kind of my way of of talking about the the why is is the compelling experience that you want players to have um, I should also mention something unique. So, you know, most most brands have some version of this um, identity pyramid. So, you know, it could be a pyramid. It could be Old Spice actually has a sailing ship as their <laughs> identity pyramid. So it's of course they do. It's like all these different takes on how you can do it. Um, but the thing that makes the the one that I put together really unique as a framework for board games um, is that it is split on the how and what levels into sections around theme and sections around gameplay. Um, and games, uh, in general, I think are very special uh, in that they have those two elements uh, intertwining with each other at once in a way that other brands or other other media might not. Uh, so I think it's very important with with this kind of framework to think about the theme and the gameplay side of of both the how and the what layer. And I'm sure we can get into details on what what is in each layer. Yeah, let's do that. Let's. Uh, you, you've got some really good examples on your website of you know popular games that you can uh, break things down into these three categories. So let's go through one of the whatever one is your favorite. You got several. I think Gloomhaven's there. Yeah, Hive yeah. Is there whichever one is your personal favorite? But break it down. Break that game down into the three parts. Kind of explaining what is in each uh, section. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to go talk about Hive. Um, just cause it's, it's at least relatively well known. Um, but it is also not a super thematic story driven game. Um, and I think this is the first uh, thing that's important to, to call out is like, even if your game is not a heavily thematic experience, it's still important to have an identity pyramid. Um, and, you know, I think people might think it's, it's more for these elaborate story games or more th for things that really have a sense of atmosphere or really have a personality. Um, and I would argue that even these games that are a little more mechanics focused, uh, you can get a lot of value out of this identity pyramid. Okay, cool. Because Hive is basically like an abstract game, right? Yeah, I mean, it's got bugs on it, so that's cool. Um, but, <laughs> but Hive, you can think of as, as like, for anyone who hasn't heard of it, is uh, chess without the chessboard. Um, chess where the pieces are the board. Um, and it's, it's my wife and I play it a bunch. We, we absolutely love it. Um, so I highly recommend it to anyone that likes um, games like Go or chess. Um, the Hive is, is a great, um, more modern step for that. Uh, I won't say better or worse. It's just, it's just a more modern step for it. Um, so yeah, the top, the why, um, I'm going to call the why for a board game identity pyramid, the core fantasy of the game. Um, and that's borrowed from the video game design world, or at least that's where I found the term. Um, I know Blizzard uses it and a lot of game developers use it. So it might be something that's, that's in the tabletop game space as well. Um, but that core fantasy is the compelling experience that you want your players to have, and it should resonate across both the theme and mechanics. And what you're looking to do here is distill down what your game is offering into like one max two pithy sentences. So for example, for Hive, what I put together is the core fantasy, what's being offered to players is overwhelm the enemy queen bee with strategy, positioning, and an army of insects. And that's like one sentence that just sums up what the game is like. What is the experience you are being offered? Um, and I'll step back and say, there is no right or wrong answer on this. That is my best guess based on my experience of Hive. 
Um, and at the end of the day, your game's identity lives in in your mind and in the minds of people who are playing the game. And each person is going to have their kind of slightly different version of it. And each one is equally valid. And that's the crazy art side of marketing. So, you know, uh, if you, if you heard that and you're like, that is not hive at all. Hey, that's, that's valid. You know, you can, you can take your own stab at it. Um, now, real quick. Yeah. It sounds a lot like if I was going to pitch this game to a publisher, that might be the first thing I say. And so is that yes. in line? Okay. I would, I would say absolutely start with your why. Um, and going back to Simon Sinek, he, you know, when you communicate about anything, starting with the why is always going to be more attention getting and more compelling than what comes naturally to us, which is starting with the, the what or maybe the how. Um, well, and, and the reason that is, is, uh, you know, we're humans. We, we connect to a, a mission or a reason for being or like a compelling experience more so than we are uh, going to connect to a bolded list of features, even though kind of the our our impulse, you know, the bolded list of features is easiest to get to. Um, so I, I would always recommend starting with why when you're communicating about your game, when you're building the pyramid, it might be the last thing that you fill in, though. Um, but when communicating, you should always start from it. Interesting. Okay. Now what about from the angle of why, as far as like, let, let's take a step back almost. Cause I've sat down to design some games and I've thought about, all right, why am I designing this game? It's like, okay, I want to, I want to design a game that makes players feel a certain way or gives them the opportunity to feel a certain emotion or something like that. Is that a, a different conversation? Is that a different why? Like, is this a kind of a, a different way to look at things? No, I, I think it all folds together. And this is, you know, this is putting a lot of weight onto this one statement. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's okay if you don't have this exactly right. It's okay if it evolves over time. It's always just your best guess for where you're at now. But I think one, when, when it is well articulated or when you know you have it close to where you want it to be, um, it actually will cover that kind of reason for being internal to you as well as to the people who are experiencing it. And I would say that the times where I have enjoyed a game the most is where I feel like I'm connecting to that designer's intent behind the game. And it's like, not only am I having experience, but I feel like I am like, I can, I can almost like feel the designer's intent taking me there. And that's just a really cool connective experience that happens. Um, and I think a good why and, and certainly a well-designed game behind that why um, can get you there. So for example, you know, when, um, and I apologize, I don't know the creator of Hive, um, but when they designed the game, you know, I, I don't know if they started from the idea of this army of insects fighting each other from the thematic standpoint, or maybe they were like, oh, you know, it'd be cool is if I could have like a really strategic positioning focused game that's like chess. Um, either of those are valid starting points, um, but the way I've written the core fantasy for the why kind of um, can cover either of those. Uh, and you could say like, okay, you know, someone can look at that statement and say, oh, that's what I want. Uh, and a, a designer can look at that statement and be like, that's what I want to offer. Interesting. I think you could also just inject some adjectives in there. So for instance, you could say a tense game about uh, bugs overcoming the enemy queen, something like that. Like tense doesn't describe the game. It describes the player's feelings while they're playing the game, right? And so mm -hmm. you can kind of maybe put some words in there that also, you know, talk about the players, the emotions, the different things you're trying to accomplish for your users, for your gamers, and then also talk about the game as well. So I guess you could kind of mesh it all together. Yeah. And actually that, that is a really natural segue into uh, the theme section of how. So the second layer of the pyramid is how. 
Um, and on the theme side of things, remember it's gameplay and theme. On the theme side of things, you I recommend you pick three adjectives that capture the tone of your game. And it would make total sense if an adjective you wanted to have in that section showed up in the core fantasy. You know that that's very um, you know that that meshes together very well. So I, I totally agree with that. Okay, and let's just keep talking about how. So, yeah, tell me more about theme. What, what should I be thinking about? Like, obviously, the theme of bugs in Hive, but there's more to it, right? Give me kind of a deeper look at things. Yeah, and I, I almost would take it uh, because, yeah, you, you can say it's about bugs, but that doesn't really tell you the tone. And so I, you know, think what comes to mind right now is like someone, someone accomplishing, you know, a mission, right? You're going to go on a, some kind of military mission, right? You could do it with stealth and precision, or you could go in guns blazing and Rambo it, right? And those two different sides of things are accomplishing the same goal, but in drastically different ways. And the adjectives that you put in the, in the uh, tone bucket of this pyramid um, kind of inform what that approach is. Are you, are you guns blazing? Are you stealth and sabotage? Um, and so I, I kind of, at least when I gave examples for Hive, I went more emotional things like um, strategic and boundless and calculating were the three words I chose. And again, that's my choice based on my best guess. There's no like, I, I don't pretend like that is the perfect answer. That's, that was just kind of what I threw down. And I'm sure we could all, you know, spend some time on it and figure out even better words. Um, but so yeah, so under under the how, it's almost like the personality or the 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 tone. I'll just use that word that that brings to life the core fantasy of the why. Now, when when you talked about bugs, right? Um, that almost pushes us down a layer in in the pyramid to to see the specific setting or story. Um, and so on 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 this pyramid uh, on the what layer on the theme side and man I, I apologize for anyone on podcast that's like I'm completely lost on what this looks like I get it yeah sorry uh, audio medium right um, but on the on the theme side uh, of the what layer I said two armies of insects swarm around each other fighting to surround the enemy's queen bee um, and so then that that gets very specific on like hey it's bugs doing a thing. Um, but there are ways to be strategic, boundless, and calculating that don't involve bugs at all, right? Um, and you know, an alien invasion or something like that. Like there are there are other ways to accomplish the tone of the game independent of the specific uh, setting that goes under the tone. And so that's that's kind of you see how the layers all support each other. The setting of bugs specific. Um, is a way to get at a certain tone, strategic, boundless, and calculating, which is a way to get at the core fan uh, core fantasy of overwhelming the enemy with strategy and positioning. Yeah, very cool. All right, and so it, let's... Yeah, hopefully it sounds like that's all kind of starting to work together. Well, it works for me, but I'm also looking at the pyramid, so hopefully other people <laughs> are able to kind of take your words and turn them into things. Yeah, and I'll yeah. have a link. I'll put a link on the website so people can see yeah, exactly sure, how sure. these things are broken down if they want to go deeper and get a better understanding of this. And I highly recommend it. I think this is a really cool way to break down games, either published games. I think this is a good exercise, breaking down already published games and right, figuring out, like, what does this work? Why, why does mm -hmm. Pandemic work so well? Why is it sold 10 bazillion copies? Ticket to Ride sold bazillions of copies. Well, it probably works really well in this pyramid structure somehow. And so figuring that out and might even help you, you know, figure out better ways to do your own game. So I think this is really good just design exercise. But let's go back, uh, talking about the how, but on the gameplay side of things. So you have how yeah. broken up in the theme and then gameplay. Tell me about what that means. 
so yeah, so this is this is where this was kind of my contribution. All of all of this is very much standing on the shoulders of uh, a bunch of different frameworks and thinkers and approaches from from the business world and, and a little bit from the game design world as well. This is my little kind of blip on it, I guess, which is to break apart theme and gameplay in this pyramid. So the why is one unified piece. The how and the what are both split into theme and gameplay. Talked about theme. Um, on the gameplay side for how, how you are accomplishing that core fantasy, um, I chose to call that structure. And what the structure bucket is, is it's kind of the, the tells the player the type of game they're buying. Um, and you can almost think of this like this, these are the things that would help someone find your game on board game geek, you know, telling the, the, the genre and the player count and maybe like the strategic or rules weight of the game, if you will. Um, it's, it's all those kind of almost wayfinding details um, that tell you about the structure of the type of game that the person is playing. So here's, here's the type of experience you're having, but you know, with games, a huge part of the experience is the actual mechanical game that you're playing. Um, and so the, the how bucket, um, on the gameplay side, I call structure and that that's where you kind of get all that detail out. Um, so for example, for, for hive, you know, it's a two player strategy board game that is not restricted by a board. Okay. Very cool. And if we were talking about a worker placement game, this is where we would put two to four player worker placement game. Like we'd start putting mm -hmm. those kind of identifiers in there. Exactly. No, you're, you're right on. Um, or if it's a bluffing game, like th that would absolutely show up. Um, because again, there are multiple ways to deliver that core experience that's at your Y level. Um, you know, you can, you can give a core experience by making a really cool bluffing game. You can give a core, the same core experience by way of a worker placement game that, you know, it's going to present very differently, but maybe it gets at that same core experience. Um, and I, it, it would almost be an interesting thought exercise to be like, you know, there's, there's a bunch of games that are kind of themed the same or in the same genre. Um, you know, what are the two most different uh, structure gameplay ways to get at the same core experience. Like what, how, how do those two games uh, match? It's almost like what, what is uh, what is one game kind of uh, transmogrified into someone else's body, but it's tr still doing the same thing. Um, I, I, I know those examples are out there for sure. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think it could also be helpful if you find yourself designing a game that's similar to other games already on the market. Like for instance, you know, last year, mm -hmm. if you came out with a Jurassic Park game, Okay, you were one of like 50. Like there were so many dinosaur <laughs> dinosaur amusement park type games over the last couple of years. And hopefully you were first because it was going to be really hard to stand out. And so if you find yourself designing, you know, this coming up year in 2021, designing a dinosaur theme park type game, I think going to this pyramid and really figuring out how is my game different? If I'm going to do this and I'm going to design a game that's very similar to some of these other games on the market that are doing really well, had really big Kickstarters, what sets mine apart? How am I going to be able to market my game to, to show people very clearly that my game is different? It's better for these reasons. I think, you know, breaking things down into this pyramid could be helpful with that as well. Yeah. And I think about that also as an ideation hook, right? Like how fun would it be to say, all right, your, your core fantasy is you are managing a dinosaur theme park that is slowly running amok, right? There's your core fantasy right there. Um, and say, okay, do that as a worker placement game. And that, that leads you down one range. Okay, deliver that core fantasy though as um, you know as a, a hidden movement game. And that takes you down a whole nother uh, avenue. And they're accomplishing that same why, that same top level of the pyramid, but the structure is very different. Yeah, so 
in that way, you know, board games with a very similar theme uh, or a very, very similar kind of experience that they're offering can look mechanically very different. And understanding how you want to do that and understanding how other people are doing that um, can be incredibly helpful. Yeah, for sure. And I think having a hidden movement game of Jurassic Park type theme where one player is the Velociraptor and no one knows where they are and you're yeah. trying to fix the theme park and the raptor is trying to eat your face off. I think that could, uh, that could be fun. And so if you're, if you're listening to this design, somebody designed that game. I don't have time, but I think it's a great idea. And so design yeah. it. And if it's good enough, I'll publish it. How about that? Well, and, and now, um, and now you see, now you see how the, the kind of different pillars work because you could do that exact same um, gameplay structure uh, and instead switching the setting and story from dinosaur theme park to like Jason hunting kids at summer camp. Right. And have the exact same mechanical game, um, but a completely different theme that still delivers on the same core fantasy. That's maybe about like, you know, one person is, is hunting everyone else who's trying to repair. Um, so that, you know, the, it all kind of fits together that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's round out the pyramid. Let's uh, let's go all the way down to the bottom, the what section and the gameplay area. Let's finish mm-hmm. things off. Yeah, so whereas the theme, you're getting specific on the setting and story, and this is the most granular um, part of the, the pyramid. On the gameplay side, I chose to call it the hooks. Um, and what I mean by that is, is kind of the specific mechanics, uh, the unique or icon- iconic mechanics that set your game apart. Um, so if you think about structure uh, for gameplay on the how, how tier is more like the genre. Um, the hooks is what makes you unique within your genre. Uh, so it's like, you know, taxonomy or I'm sure that's the wrong word for it, but you know, the, what genus and species and all that stuff. So uh, the gameplay hooks are kind of the lowest level here. And it's specifically the mechanics that would stand out to someone as unique. And in the marketing world, we might call this points of difference um, or points of parity. So uh, points of difference is literally something that you are doing different than anyone else out there. Points of parity is something that you are doing as well as other people, um, but maybe in some other way that makes it stand out. Um, so, you know, if you think of any any games, kind of the immediate mechanic that comes to, to mind with that game is what shows up for uh, for this. So for me, Hive is the the pieces are the board. Like that is the, the hook. Um, and it's very specific and granular and really doesn't tell you anything about the experience, but it's a really interesting mechanical thing that is still important to Hive and that through it, because it, it is leading up, laddering up to this larger experience, like really b- brings that to life. Um, you know, I, I could say like for um, Pandemic, it's that, um, you know, the, having the Epidemic cards shuffled in, the, the tenseness uh, or the, the intensity that comes from every time you turn over a card, it might be really bad. Um, for Gloomhaven, it's screaming at your friends and, and you know, arguing over rules. Uh, so all that stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're hitting too close to home for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be careful that. Just kidding, I love Gloomhaven. It was part of the inspiration for Deck of Wonders, I swear. Um, so, so yeah, so the hooks are, are kind of getting down to that granular level, as granular as the specific setting and story just on the, the gameplay side. Yeah, very cool. And now one of the great things about this pyramid is you can really start in any of these spaces. Like you don't have to start with an idea for a game in any one. You could start at the bottom. You could start at the top. You could start with the title and mm-hmm. then go to the gameplay structure and then bounce over to the theme. Like you can do all sorts of really interesting things that you don't have to know everything all at the beginning. You can kind of put pieces together like like a puzzle and kind of bring everything together over time, right? Mm-hmm. And as you go to fill it out, you know, you, you start kind of with this page and there's a box for each of the areas that we talk about. 
Um, yeah, you absolutely like every idea starts somewhere on this grid and that is fine. And you fill that in first and then you think about how it relates to all the other pieces around it. Um, and you kind of flesh it out that way. And so I'm, you know, and I'm sure you as well, like there is, there is no single right path to having a really good idea. Um, and, and inspiration is going to strike each person differently at a different place. And so hopefully this framework, uh, allows you to capture that and then systematically, um, explore it in a way that gets you to all the other important parts of a game. Definitely. And I think one of the main helpful, uh, parts of this is it gives you a template. It gives you like some scaffolding that you don't have to start from scratch. It can kind of help you further down the design process than maybe you would have been if you just started from zero and you're just trying to figure it all out. This is why I think it's really good for new designers to go in and like redesign already published games. Like how would you take this game that works, that sold really well, it's been really successful. How would you go in and change it? Maybe change the theme or change the core mechanism or something like that, because you don't have to worry about everything you just have to worry about a small part i think the same kind of thing goes for this pyramid is like you can just start out with one idea and plug it in and you don't have to know everything but all of a sudden you can start adding these other things and trying things and going oh well, that doesn't work quite as well that doesn't really fit the core fantasy of what i'm going for and i've already established but it gives you basically a mechanism to kind of add things to it that you're already further down the path than you would have been just kind of starting from zero and so i think this is just a great tool to help designers especially new designers yeah, I and it's funny you spark something. So one of the first games that I can remember designing um, was essentially like Stratego, but Star Wars. Like I, I was a kid, I loved Stratego, I loved Star Wars, and I started putting it together. And like this tool would have been great for that because you you sit down and, and think about Stratego and everything you like about Stratego and fill out this, and then just go over to setting slash story, erase the the you know battlefield part of it and plug in Star Wars. Uh, and you're off to the races like that, that then gives you a really strong jumping off point uh, to start designing from. Uh, the final thing I'll say just about this whole framework, because it, this is like a personal soapbox, um, but the framework is always to help you define uh, or, or describe reality, not define it. And I, I've I've met people in like consulting work and, and just, again, from, from previous experience where they get really, really hung up if they have something that they know is important, but they can't put it in the perfect place on the pyramid or on whatever framework. And so there's a big box at the bottom for just catch all notes. If there's something that's important and you can't decide where it goes, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It just, it just means this framework isn't good enough uh, or, you know, is, is not the best possible framework for, for what you're uh, doing. Just put it in the notes section and it's fine that it lives there for a little bit until you can figure out where it goes or, or just keep it there indefinitely. So it, it always want this to feel like a tool for you, never like you are uh, being chained to it. Absolutely. And with any of these types of things, it's really about figuring out what works best for you, for your personal design process. You know, there, there is no magical uh, bullet. There's no silver bullet to kind of help you figure everything out perfectly. It's just, you know, do what works for right now. You know, it might, it might work today and not work tomorrow. <laughs> so just mm -hmm. kind of going at it from that angle. But Dennis, this has been excellent, man. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? You know, someone who's thinking about this or maybe they're sitting there, you know, kind of going through the ideas of the pyramid or maybe looking at the pyramid right now, they're looking at the template and going, okay, how do I do this? What would be your encouragement? What would be your closing thoughts to them? Yeah. Um, I would just encourage you, uh, you know, as, as you build up to that, why I think I said near the top that, you know, it, it is the most important thing, but it, it might be the last thing you fill in because it's helpful to, to write it when you're looking at everything else. Um, but I really do believe that when you communicate that first, um, and, and really articulate a compelling experience, um, that is going to get people's ears to perk up, be it, um, be it publishers, be it players. 
um, that is going to hook them in so much better than giving a bullet point list of, of all the hows and what's of your game. And it can feel scary to lead with why, because you've put a ton of work into all of the nitty gritty details that are in the rest of the pyramid. Um, but I just over time and in a bunch of different realms have, have seen over and over again that leading with that why, um, especially when it's clearly articulated, um, is, is going to move the needle so much more. Definitely. Yes, this has been great, man. Where can people find you, your company, Deck of Wonders, all that? Yeah. So like I said, Deck of Wonders is my first effort. Um, it's already come and gone from Kickstarter and thank you to everyone who supported it. Um, you can go to the game's website at deckofwondersgame.com. Um, and that'll give you links to all the relevant stuff and details on the game. Um, it will be in late pledges on GameFound probably through summer 2021. So depending on, I know these things have a long shelf life, right? So depending on when you come to it, uh, you might be able to go and check it out uh, there as well. Um, but yeah, that's me. And, uh, and right now my focus is on deck of wonders. We'll see what's in the future for Viria games. Um, it will probably involve me scribbling on this framework that we just talked through. Awesome. Well, Dennis, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with deck of wonders and other games you're cooking up and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was a blast. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?